Hello, welcome to the Slam. We are back for 2023. Now I know that I normally don't introduce the podcast as such, tend to just go straight into it, but it's a new year and a new us and a new co-host. So for those of you who listened to the Slam last year, you would have heard me alongside George Cooper, who has decided that we are beneath him. Um, <laughs> he's gone to join the Ladies European Tour and good luck to him. That's all I'm going to say about him. He's already a voice inside my head. <laughs> so I have with me Matt Chivers, who is very keen to start off the new year being known as Chivers and not Chivers, as he's yeah. previously been known. So massively frustrating. You know, when you used to work in in an office or you used to be doing like a team building thing and you would do that thing where you go around and you say a little bit about yourself I'm going to point the finger at you and say say do that now just explain who you are and what you do all right yeah yeah um yeah Matt Chivers um I've, I've, I've been I'm quite keen to um get on the slam to be honest uh, since joining and um, we've been delayed a couple of weeks haven't we but yeah yeah I was at I was at um Golf Magic and now I've joined National Club Golfer I say I play off seven my, my handicap hasn't been active for I couldn't say the last time I did a competition. Like, I haven't played a competition for ages. But my handicap is seven. My home course is Royal St. Ports, despite only playing there sort of maybe three or four times a year. Because <laughs> I live up, I live in the north of England now. So, um, but yeah, yeah, that's my that's my background. I joined NCG fairly recently. Yeah, and I hope to follow in George's footsteps. I used to quite enjoy listening to you, to, to, to you and George sort of, yeah, have a bit of back and forth. And I hope I can bring my own sort of... It was always what I found easy with George was that he would always say something ridiculous that, that I could then lay into him about. So if you could just throw yeah, in the odd ridiculous <laughs> comment that I can. No, good. Um, good to have you on board to another Southerner. So the the, yes, the slam, yeah. despite being, mm. you know, we're, we're a northern powerhouse with uh, two southern presenters once again. So good. Well, where else are we going to start other than John Rahm? I've got a quick question for you straight out of the block. What do Max Homer, Keegan Bradley, Colin Morikawa, Sahith Thigala, Sunjai Im, Sam Ryder, Scotty Scheffler and Nick Taylor, eight players, what do they have in common? Is it they've... Well, I don't know, but is it they've... Is it they've, <laughs> is it they've finished... The clue, is, the clue is John Rahm. Oh, I was going to say because... If you mentioned Nick Taylor, obviously he finished, he finished second last week, didn't he? So I sort of thought that was the clue. I'll cut that out. The answer is <laughs> they are the only players who have beaten John Rahm in his five PGA Tour starts since the turn of the year. So How many, How many was there? Uh, eight players. So Century Tournament of Champions, he won. The American Express, his second start of the year, he won the calendar year. The Farmers Insurance Open, he finished tied seventh behind Homer, Bradley, Morikawa, Thigala, Im and Ryder. And Phoenix Open, he finished third behind Scheffler and Nick Taylor. And then he's just won the Genesis. So uh, if you take that back to the end of 2022 as well, since the Tour Championship, he's finished mm. tied second at Wentworth. 
He won the Spanish Open, tied fourth at the CJ, won the DP World Tour season finale in Dubai before a tied eighth in Tiger's hit and giggle <laughs> in the Bahamas, which we probably don't count. He's yeah. won five of his last nine starts with that tied seventh at Torrey Pines, his worst finish. And he's banked $9.8 million this season alone. And we're still two months away from the first major. Yeah. I saw a tweet earlier from CBS scribe Kyle Porter that said, that is more than all but nine golfers have earned in a single season in PGA Tour history. I mean, this is Tiger Woods levels of performance. Well, like he sort of alluded to sort of ignoring the rankings afterwards and saying, because I don't think afterwards when he won, I think the reporter said to him, whoever asked him, said, um, I believe or I said, I think that takes him to world number one now. I think in his mind at that point, he didn't know if he was actually going to be world number one, at which point he said, I don't really bob the rankings. If I'm not world number one, then the rankings are sort of not very valid but um he, he has confirmed what, what he's been thinking for a few months and i rory said last week that he thought he was the best player in the world um at that point but he has he has he is showing tiger levels of consistency i was looking at tiger's record earlier in 1999 tiger won eight times 2000 i think he won nine times i think nine was the most tiger won in a year um, including the three majors he won in that year yes yeah so, so what does so sorry so what does so let's just compare that then so what does Ram need so he needs so he's done three wins this year already so he needs three more PJ Tour wins and three majors is that right to match that yeah. 2000 season of so in 2000 wins. yeah Tiger the Memorial the Bay Hill Canadian Open PGA the Open the AT and T US Open Mercedes Championship and the WGC NEC Invitational that was in 2000 oh, blasts in the past there isn't it? yeah. Um, but the thing is, back back then, I suppose that there were less tournaments, weren't there? I think, or well, they used to definitely they certainly used to play less. But I mean, there is no reason why John Rahm isn't approaching those 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 numbers. Um, he's literally at the top of the leaderboards all all the time. He's inevitable. I think that's a word that's being used quite a lot on Twitter now. He's inevitable. And I felt a bit. I thought it, it wasn't exactly. It wasn't even that scintillating last night. I thought there were there were. Uh, he was only he's only level par until like the back nine on on the actual day. Um, there were quite a few mistakes. Um, the back nine, especially from home, which is probably why he didn't win, because on that thirteenth hole, he literally duck up two two shots in a row, essentially. Um, but yeah, he just sort of assumes he's, he's going to win all the time. I, th- I think, I think, I think he will need another major because what, what obviously one is still good, but if he finishes with one in his in his career, obviously that's a bit of a failure compared to considering how good he is. Um, but yeah, he he, he is. As people are saying, inevitable, and it's and it's event at events that are very good events. Um, Homer Cantlay's at the top of the leaderboard, um, as well as you know Keith Mitchell, Figala, Murakawa. So it's it's not just normal events he's doing that. He's doing that like the, the uh, these designated full field events. Uh, yeah, so massively impressive. I had to actually double check that he's only won one. It feels ludicrous. Yeah, I know. No. I had to go to his Wikipedia page because I was just thinking in my head, I was like, surely he's won more than one. Mm, yeah. And I was all going, well, hang on a second. No, he hasn't. But are you expecting him to lift any of the four majors this year? And if so, which one do you perhaps think, if he was mm. if he was going to win one this year, which one do you think is perhaps most likely? I think it's easy. It, is, it would be the easy thing to say the Masters, but I think that course like suits quite a lot of people's, quite a lot of players' games. Can we just because... have Rory McIlroy win the Masters, please? Can we just, can we just yeah. get that? Yeah. Can that just happen? Yeah. Um, well, it could, to be fair. But then, you could, then you've got Scheffler and you've got a lot of other players that play well at the Masters. Um, wouldn't surprise me if, if Cam Smith or Dustin Johnson played well at the Masters. 
So I think I think that'd be the easy thing to say, Augusta. But um, he he played well. He played well at the Open. I can't remember. Where he, I can't remember where he finished in the Open last year. But he, he played well. He ended up finishing well at St and, uh, at, uh, St George's. Um, so Hoy Lake could be another um, another another opportunity. J- just off the back of the, of course, a sort of half no. I'm not. I'm not really too. I'm not really too up with LA Country Club, or um, is it Oak Hill that's having the yeah the PGA? I'm not really. I'm just trying to tell me anything about those courses, so I wouldn't really know if he was well equipped to win at those courses. But yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say I'd say Hoylake, Hoylake and um and Augusta. I'd, I'd expect an, another top three at least. I've pulled up his record now. He has got an incredible record at Augusta. So tied 27th on his debut. Then he went fourth, ninth, seventh, fifth, and then tied 27th last year. So he's got an incredible oh, well record then. there. Yeah. So four top tens out of six starts. Lump your savings on him, really. I suppose so. Yeah. Well, he's always short odds these days. That's the issue, isn't he? He's always like about six to one, which is pretty terrible odds for um for a golfer. It might be. It might be a multi major, a multi major winning year for him. You, you, you would have to expect a bit of a Rory turnout. Last year, Rory was top ten in all four majors, wasn't he? And you, you, you'd, yeah. you'd fully expect John Rahm to, 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 to at least at least accomplish that. Another top um, display from Max Homer as well. He, he's really proven himself as a big game player on the PGA Tour. Incredible, isn't he? It's sort of everyone sort of saw him as the the Joker of the PGA Tour. Like everyone follows mm. him on Twitter because he's hilarious and genuinely really nice guy. And is that the kind of person that can succeed on the PGA Tour? And he's proven that it is. Yeah, bit of a grinder, I think, isn't he? I think I know they all obviously have to work hard to be at that level, but I think he is a bit of a, a, a real sort of grinder. Works very hard. He's a six-time winner, I think now after after winning at Tory Pines. I thought that was actually. I thought the end of the Genesis was actually really good. I I know that obviously, as you said before, Homer made a couple of mistakes and Ram was grinding it out. But I quite like those. I mean, Ram, which was it, fourteen or fifteen, where Ram nailed that huge left to writer he loves those putts doesn't he I mean he obviously had two two of those big <laughs> yeah, course, swinging yeah. putts to win the US Open I mean he wasn't putting very well and then it obviously he sang mm. that that was the sort of moment where you thought right Homer's really got to dig deep now and and you actually you saw a shift in Homer's demeanor when that putt went in and it sort of felt yeah. inevitable that that Ram was going to go on and win but that's what the best players do and and Homer you know he said he had a very emotional interview afterwards which I'm sure we've all seen and he not only is incredibly likable, he's another player that we're thinking, well, hang on a second. This guy is going to be a major contender. The way he's playing, he's got to contend yeah. in at least one major this year. And you wouldn't bet against him winning it. There's a lot of depth in the PGA Tour. It's a shame they're all American. It'd be nice if a few more Europeans were, like, were following Job Rahm's um, example. But um, I feel like Rahm, in the current world number one debate, I think Rahm, McIlroy and Scheffler are... are separate themselves from the rest i think they have another gear whereas players like homer may don't have another gear to go to, to, to go into when it was level yesterday ram hold that big long putt then li- literally nearly made a holding one on the on the 16th i think that proves that those those three players particularly have have another gear to go to when when they need it whereas maybe maybe people like although they're proven winners maybe homer cantley are still sort of discovering if they have that other gear which then makes them major winners what i found really interesting was when ram was talking about 
the world rankings and he's basically saying I don't care I don't need OWGR to tell me that I'm the best player in the world I mean an absolutely fantastic quote I mean he's he's got previous <laughs> with it he did, did he, he, he described it as laughable, laughable. Didn't he, back in November when he was when he pick, picked up hardly any ranking points for winning the uh, DP World Tours uh, championship now if John Rahm doesn't need OWGR then neither does the slam so why don't we just rank our own top five players at the moment. Now, I think you can't argue with Ram being at number one. Yeah, that, in terms yeah. of in terms of form, he's the best player in the world right now. I think McElroy is second. I think I would say probably. I think you're tossing up between Homer and Scheffler for third, aren't you? That's my four. Have you got anyone else you're thinking about? Well, well sneak into that um, top five. Well, I'm go- I've, my my um makeup's a bit different. I, I put Scheffler in second. I think. Okay. For, for me, for me, I think we're basically doing a form table. It's basically a form table, isn't it? It's not. Yeah. We're not considering previous from twenty. We're considering it's a it's current form table, and I think I think activity is important. Um, if we're doing this, and so Ram Scheffler, Homer, and so 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 Ram Scheffler, McElroy, Homer. And then my fifth would be Morikawa. But so Rob Scheffler, Homer, Morikawa—they've all played six or seven times on the PGA Tour this this season. Whereas McIlroy's only played three times. I know he he did win obviously in Dubai, um, but it would be a toss-up for me with with for number two with Chef with Scheffler and McIlroy. I just think I was so impressed by the win at Phoenix for Scheffler to go back to back. Still proves he he was like he was like the quiet voice in the world number one debate and he sort of immediately returned to world number one after winning in Phoenix. So I'd have him in seconds. It was, it just... was a good, sorry, it was, it was a good win in Phoenix. I don't want to downplay it at all because he's an incredible player and I absolutely love everything about him. I love the way he's just like a, you know, he's, he, he's very quiet. He's not, you know, he's not this big showman. Mm. He just, he sort of quietly gets on with his job and he's absolutely, he's sort of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of the PGA Tour, isn't he? He just, That's a bit you know, of he comes, he comes, hang on, that guy won the European <laughs> Cup. He comes, I mean, as a player, sorry. Yeah, yeah, he yeah come, as a player. He yeah. Come, he's come in, he's a bit of a, a silent assassin, so to speak. He's not this big showman. He's not uh, anything like that. He's not making headlines for the wrong reasons. He's not, he's, you know, he's, there's no chance of him going to, he's, I don't think he's even been linked to live golf, has he, let alone um, no, any hints of him no. going. So it's like, that's what I love about him. And, and, and that Phoenix win, Again, an unbelievable win. I don't want to downplay it. Ram faltered towards the end, which sort of gave Scheffler the opportunity to shift on. I mean, I don't. Again, I don't want to take anything away from Nick Taylor, but if 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 I'm Scotty Scheffler and I'm looking up and um, you know Nick Taylor, world number three hundred and whatever he was at the time, is is my only competition. It takes a little bit off the shoulders, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, but you know, it is in terms of my sort of top five there, it is a toss up between Scheffler and McElroy. He, he got a bit of an edge over Scheffler at the um, Tour Championship as well, obviously, didn't he? Which was which was a much as much a psychological thing as well. That that, that might have been um, that that sort of that sort of battle between Scheffler and McElroy at the Tour Championship has come become a bit of a sort of a foreshadowing for the world number one spot. Now we're a few months down the line, and it was impressive McElroy's win. Um, with, with obviously the context of Patrick Reed being in contention in Dubai as well, and that would obviously give him a few points in terms of in terms of the world rankings and the makeup we're doing here. 
as a feature this probably does work but what i think we need to do is maybe have like a little form table where we have mm. the top players in the world and and how they're getting on in 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 the world and maybe we just you know how how they do it with football where they have like the form table is just like their last six or eight results and maybe we just do that with the top well, players yeah, and say that, right that's... these are their last mm. six results this is who's the best player in the world on current form if you take into consideration their last eight before it's like the world handicap system we're going to take your eight best yeah exactly yeah, on the yeah. last 10 like a rolling, like a rolling system um but that, that that's why good. i sort of included morikawa um he did sort of choke at the century tournament of champions but if you look at his um if you look at his current form on the pga tour again like with activity i think he's played seven times already in the, in the season yeah he has and he's got three top tens he came second at century third at the farmer's insurance he did miss the cut off last week, actually, which I didn't re- actually realise. He did miss the cut. Um, but then he came tied sixth again this weekend. So... Right, you can have more current. It would be a top four. If, it. if those are the Champions League places, those would be the top four. And then the rest are battling out battling out for fifth. Because there's no really... There's like three outs. They've got the top three that are only in the league of their own. And then probably Homer is is the fourth place trophy. And the rest, the rest are sort of... There's no outstanding one. The rest is there, really. No, I'm happy with those five. We've sort of uh, teased the listeners with this, perhaps what could potentially be a new feature. So maybe we'll continue that <laughs> yeah, from next week yeah, yeah. with actually a bit more, uh, with, a, with a few more stats yeah. and actually a bit more, effort, maybe. Subs- a bit more substance <laughs> yeah. to it. I do just want to note before we move on, I do just want to note for equipment fans out there that Ram's win continues a fine start to the year for Callaway's new paradigm range. That is now seven victories in 12 tournaments across the PGA and DP World Tours, which is just incredible for a new piece of equipment. If you are interested in gear at all, make sure you head over to the Callaway section of nationalclubgolfer.com and our YouTube channel to see uh, what our equipment team thought of the Paradigm range and to see if they are getting on with it as well as John Rahm is. And if you're looking to treat yourself for the 2023 season, as I'm sure we all are, we like to change up our gear, don't we? Whether it's a driver, fairway woods, hybrids, irons, the Paradigm range is available from this Friday, just in time for your pre-season driving range sessions. I don't think I made that sound too salesy. I think I made that natural. <laughs> no, very natural. Seamless. Yeah. Right. What I thought was pretty cool was that we had a weekend where one world number one won and Another player won to become world number one. So Lydia Ko won the Saudi Ladies International on the LET. Now, Ko's a funny one. She had 20 wins between 2012 and 2018. Then she had a three-year drought, for want of a better term, due largely to a lot of meddling with coaches, caddies, just about Mm. everything a professional golfer can change, she changed. Now, thanks to a one-shot win in Saudi Arabia, she has six titles in the last 22, 23 months since that dry spell ended. Again, like John Rahm, another player that should have way more many majors than she does. Yeah. But there's signs that she's back to her best. Yeah, I mean, well, I think, yeah, 2022 represented a massive sort of upturn upturn for Lydia Coe. Made 22 cuts out of 22 events. I mean, that's and, some going in itself. Uh, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, if you, if you do that, you give yourself the best chance to win possible. But yeah, that's, I think she's got 26 wins worldwide now. Um, but even, you, you could say that, that that majors is something that she could be lacking, but still twice and still only, tw- tw- only 25. It's that's 30, crazy, isn't it? Absolutely that's insane, crazy. I had to double check that as well. I, I looked at it and yeah. I was like, surely she's not 25. Unbelievable. 
so yeah, she's won, she's won the Saudi Ladies International twice now, and the biggest winners check on the Ladies European Tour it was. She's won she won three three quarters of a three quarters of a million dollars, a good round of four under, and she came back from she came back from one one shot behind at the beginning of the day. And yeah, her first win as a married lady, I believe, as well. She got married in December. Um, we, I they always I, like to say that, don't they? That when, yeah, whenever yeah. these things get reported on, whether it's a male player or a female player, first <laughs> first win since, well, what do they call it? The nappy factor if they've had a baby. <laughs> but I think a special uh, a, a special mention to um, the runner-up, Hadidi Ashok, who is the, the standout player of the um, Ladies' European Tour season so far. She's number one in the race to the Costa del Sol. Um, recently won the... Magical Kenya Open by no less than nine shots. So a strong, a strong field that Lady Eko's beaten, and a bit like John Rahm, she is she is playing like a. To say if the rankings didn't exist, she is playing like a like a world number one, um, winning the winning the uh, CME Group CME Group Tour Championship, um, at the end of last season, the BMW Ladies Championship, um, and a few more good finishes before that. So. So yeah, I've got, yeah, yeah, but it was a good parallel to draw between Lydia Coe and, and John Rahm this weekend. And I think it just, I think the top of that leaderboard in in Saudi just sort of re-represents the sort of the depth in 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 the women's game, the quality in terms of where these players come from and the, the range of nationalities as well. It, even with the emergence of um, of Ashok, she, you know, she, she she's a two-time Olympian, I believe, from India, and there's no doubt that she'll continue to rise up the rankings. But if you look at the top ten the rankings. In the women's game, Lydia Ko from New Zealand, Nelly Korda from America, Minji Lee from Australia, um, Atea Thitikol from Thailand. The, the, diversity, the diversity in the, in the rankings yeah. is absolutely insane. You know, um, we've got Jin Yong Ko, Korea, Brooke Henson, Canada, and it, it, it just goes on. Leona Maguire is the highest European um, representing Ireland in the rankings. When I was your age, British and Irish players were heavily involved at the top of the rankings in the women's mm. game. And we, we're not really seeing that at the moment. What perhaps needs to change there? I suppose you'd have to look at what other countries do in terms of how they develop young young players and young female players. If you bring it if you bring it to, to a home to a home issue, um, it's something that Steve you know on on NCG um, has tackled recently in terms of um, the, the young demographic of female golfers at golf clubs and how it's quite low. So it it it, it, would, it would start at the grassroots, I, I imagine, and I think a bit of analysis would have to be taken into account of what um, countries in Asia do, because um, there are top there there are many many top Asian players um, in the women's game like Jin Young Ko and Inji Chun and um, just an v- absolute massive variety of of Asian players at the top of the rankings, and it would take surely a look at a look at whatever model that other countries adopt, because um, as I've just sort of, sort of previously mentioned, there there must be um, a grassroots issue with the development of young female golfers, certainly in England, and I, and I imagine by the, by, the, by the look of the, the rankings in, in, in the rest of the UK as well. Yeah, well, you mentioned Steve there, which, <clears throat> who is, of course, our colleague and our man in the grassroots game, uh, Steve Carroll, who mm. has covered at some depth gender equality issues in the game in recent weeks. And I know that <laughs> They've got another podcast coming up, so that's a nice plug, isn't it? For the uh, from the clubhouse Same podcast and the and the all the gear podcast. So make sure you listen to those. There are other podcasts in the NCG podcast family. But on a similar subject, I think it's important that before we move on, we do touch on Tiger Woods' so-called joke. 
Uh, I don't necessarily mm. need your opinion on it, but I do just want to say a couple of things. Uh, if you didn't see it, he handed Justin Thomas a tampon after outdriving his playing partner. Now, I think everything that needs to be said has been said on this subject from both sides. But from an NCG standpoint, especially with the work that we've been putting in in recent weeks, we are absolutely behind gender equality in golf and ridding the game of any discrimination of any kind. It was incredibly disappointing to see the greatest player of all time in a week when the spotlight was shining on him to not only pull off this stunt, but when you look at it a bit deeper, the fact that it was premeditated, the fact that preparation was involved and yeah, even the way he used that sleight of hand way of handing yeah, it to, sort of to Thomas, he knew it was wrong what he was doing. And not only that, it was from a player for his entire career has faced discrimination due to the colour of his skin. There was, of course, that famous incident when Sergio Garcia made a comment about Tiger Woods mm. coming over for dinner and he will serve him fried chicken. Now, while not necessarily directly a racist comment, there were there are racial undertones to that. Of course there are. And Garcia was rightly harangued for making a joke at the expense of the black community. So it troubles me that Woods, especially as someone who has a daughter, I mean, Tiger Woods has a daughter and he thought it would be OK to pull off this prank that belittles an entire gender. Now he's apologised. I haven't listened to his apology or read what he said. I'm, I'm not interested in what he has to say. It's incredibly disappointing. But if you are falling on the side of it was just a joke, I urge you to go and read the replies to our colleague Hannah Holden, who tweeted on the situation to, to see the ramifications for merely pointing out that she didn't see the funny side. She has had hundreds of replies. I mean, the last time I looked, it was eight or nine hundred replies, 90 mm percent -hmm. of which are mansplaining, of course, and a worrying proportion of those replies are abusive now hannah doesn't deserve that no one deserved that all she said was i don't find this funny tiger woods is belittling my gender and i don't find that funny hannah's of course not the only person that said it male or female but it it just shows how far we've got to go and we absolutely mm. need to do better and we need the best players in the world to be on side because we absolutely cannot have them making people think that that's okay because, of course, it isn't. Right. Let's talk about Live Golf. First of all, Live Golf is a subject that, you know, for obvious reasons over the last year, has been a, a big talking point on the, the Slam podcast episodes over the last few months. Now, mm -hmm. as someone who is new to National Club Golfer and indeed the Slam, what are your thoughts on Live Golf, just from a, a, a general perspective? Right. Um at the time when it first sort of emerged, um, you sort of assumed that no one would no one would be involved, no one would do it. And when you say no one, as in who you're referring to, you're sort of referring to the top, the very top players. And in that respect, technically, for the most part, no one has got no one has joined it because other than Cameron Smith and Dustin Johnson and maybe one or two others. Obviously, the the core of the world's best players have stayed on the PGA Tour. But in terms of like my actual opinion of it, um, I don't really get too offended by it. Um, I think at the time when people like Lee Westwood were getting 
massively criticised for taking big money offers to go to it. I sort of used to think, well, who are we? I know we're literally journalists and we're meant to have an opinion on it. But I sort of thought, who are we to judge people, what they do with their lives? Who am I to say? How can Lee Westwood take such and such money to join a different golf tour? Because it's not my life, it's his life. And that, that I'm not, that's just an example. Lee Westwood is just an example. Um, so I wasn't really offended by it. I think a lot of people were. Um, obviously, the source of the money, the source of the money is um, is the main issue, which was which was rightfully brought up quite constantly at the time um, and made for some quite awkward moments at the press conference at Centurion last year. And to be fair, I think those I think the players should have been made to make should have been made to feel awkward. I know they're not. I do sort of agree with the with the line of they're not politicians because they're obviously not. But they should show a bit more pub more public acknowledgement of who they're associating themselves with um but i think the time for that has passed now because we're we're a year into it so we're just used to it now i think <clears throat> but i'm also of the opinion of when you, you consider where the money comes from in terms of live and the public investment fund of saudi arabia if we if we're going to talk about sports washing we could be here till next week in terms of talking about what what sports um or, or more evidence of sports watching in other sports. Um, we, you could really sit here and talk all day um, about what's right and wrong. A lot of PGA Tour players played in that Saudi international um, a few weeks ago. So I think without, without going too deep, because we could literally sit, sit here and talk about it all day. I think um, it's definitely improved the PGA Tour. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, would these changes to the PGA Tour have happened with these elevated events, stronger fields, more prize money? Would that have happened without Live Golf? I think, safely say, it probably wouldn't have. Um, so there's no doubt that it's improved the PGA Tour. But in terms of it, what it actually looks like, I don't mind watching it. I don't find it as exciting as the PGA Tour because obviously it hasn't got as good players. But if you were a fan of golf, which you are, and you weren't Civilian. in this job, would you would you have watched it last year? I imagine I would have watched it out of pure, out of intrigue and interest. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think I would have. If I wasn't a golf journalist and just a golfer, I think I would. I think I would have watched it. But my go-to, it wouldn't have been my go-to because I think everyone's go-to is the PGA Tour. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but I think I, I, I quite liked, I quite liked the free, the free-to-air element of it. I know it's not ideal for them because it's not really reaching as big an audience as they want. Obviously, they have got. A, a, a network deal now but i quite like the free to air um nature of it which made it easier for people to watch i think i would i think i would yeah i, I think i would um i sort of enjoyed different. having it i mean we i remember for the for the centurion one the first one we had it on in the office because obviously it was during the working yeah. day uh, and it was really good and obviously had really good viewing numbers because everyone was the same <laughs> as us we were really you know curiosity got the better of us and we were really interested now I mean, I, again, I'm the same. I obviously, I watch it because it's my job to, it was a struggle sometimes. Like I really struggled to get into it. I just yeah. don't have, when you've got X amount of players for 48, I guess, playing what is essentially a glorified exhibition, it just doesn't do anything for me for the same reason that the Hero World Challenge doesn't really do it for me. It's just an end of year mm. hitting mm. giggle with a, in paradise and 
doesn't really do anything <laughs> for me. I like I'll, I'll put it if I'm if I'm home and I'm on the sofa, I'll watch it. But, you know, I'm not disappointed to miss it. And, you know, I said at the time, you obviously had Centurion and then you had Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas mm. going toe to toe at the Canadian exactly. Open. Now, I, I know which one of those I'd rather watch any day of the week. But it looks like, well, by the time you're listening to this, I suppose we will probably have almost all 48 players, if not all 48 players, mm-hmm. confirmed for the 14-event live season for 2023. 20, At the time of recording, we just have reports that the headline movers are Thomas Peters, Danny Lee and Brendan Steele. I mean, Thomas Peters is a good get for live. I think it's bad for the DP World Tour. It's, well, it certainly doesn't affect the PJ Tour very much. No. Dan, but Danny Lee and Brendan Steele, I mean, even you said they're like, the biggest name they've got in terms of world ranking was Cameron Smith. Now, obviously, the biggest names they got in terms of who they are were, you know, Kepka and DeChambeau and Phil mm-hmm. Nicholson and Dustin Johnson. But I think there's a bit, for me, it's a bit out of sight, out of mind. I wasn't watching the Genesis last night and that steely battle between John Rahm and Max Homer. I wasn't sitting there thinking, do you know what this needs? Cam Smith in the mix like it, yeah. doesn't, it, it yeah. hasn't really affected me in any way shape or form now the only I, I, I do miss the Shambo because he's <laughs> such a showman and he's always entertaining especially when he was doing his big hitting stuff I mean that stuff at the Arnold Palmer Invitational last year or the year before whatever it was when he was raising his fists mm. and driving it over the lake and stuff like that absolutely fantastic the man's a showman but we've got plenty of other showmans on the on the PGA Tour Bill Mickelson do I miss him as a competitive golfer on the PGA Tour? Not really. I mean, the guy was infinitely more interesting last year because he went to live golf. I mean, you, mm. it, it, I mean, his form was so bad that if he'd been playing on the PGA Tour, he would have just been absolutely a non-contender in anything. Dustin Johnson, again, same as Cam Smith, like great player. Love watching him when he's in contention, but out of sight, out of mind. Brooks Kepka's the one for me, I think. I miss yeah, I, I completely he's, agree. He's someone I don't really know what it is I like about him. I think it's his general don't give a f demeanor about everything. And obviously, he was on that episode two of was it episode two of Full Swing, mm, the yeah, Netflix documentary, which we'll discuss a bit more soon. But I don't know. There was sort of a there's something about him, isn't there? I mean, he's obviously the fiercest competitor that you can imagine. He and his injuries really are getting the better of him. Like you can see, you saw, I don't want to spoil too much in case people haven't watched it yet, but you really saw that he was, that it was massively getting him down. But as, as a competitor and as someone who I loved watching week in, week out, like he is the player I miss most. And now it seems that he's got what we're calling buyer's remorse and perhaps wants back on the PGA tour. That's what I find difficult to take, to be honest. I have, having seen um, the Netflix, having I, when I watched his episode on the Netflix series, I sort of thought, I, I thought there is no way, a lot of these players that have gone to live golf are are essentially finished, like in terms of their um, competitiveness at the top level, that they're, they're, they're finished. 
well, Paul, Ian even... Porter, sorry, Ian Porter is one of those players that you're talking about. And he actually says it. Yeah. He says yeah. it in the documentary. He says, yeah. why on earth wouldn't I go? Like, I'm not competing on the PGA Tour anymore. These guys are offering me more money than I've ever earned in my entire career. So why wouldn't I go? And do you know what? I hold mm. my hands up and go, yeah, fair play. Don't agree where the money's coming from. But if you're being offered it, we'd all take it. Well, that's my point with with what I made about earlier with Lee Westwood. If, or if Dustin says, in the, as Dustin's, well, I take it less from Dustin because he's not finished in my opinion. But, and saying they're finished isn't an insult because they they are. Yeah. Um, they're um, saying it themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with Brooks, I, I actually felt a bit sad watching Brooks because he, he won four majors um, in the space of nothing. And he was such a, he's such a, as you say, fierce is the word. Like focused, he had he had Tiger's focus um, when competing on the PGA Tour. And I do, I I do not believe for a minute that he's ready to exchange what what he could have done the PGA Tour still for 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 just money. I, there's no way he has, in my opinion, could could have made the right decision. And he, there's no way he doesn't regret it. Is what I'm trying to say. When, when, when Alan, I think it was Alan Chittam did a Q and A, didn't he? And he replied to a question about Kepka, and that was the response. Apparently, he's got buyer's remorse. And I, I just thought that does not surprise me one one bit. That from that Netflix documentary and from all of the players, there's no way he's finished. There's no way he's finished because it's sort of like a live golf isn't a retirement home, but it's it, it's it's a it's a tour for players that have exchanged sort of a chance of a chance of greatness and legacy for money and I don't think Kepka was at that stage no well it's a strange one isn't it because I look at I mean Dustin Johnson is obviously a bit older than Kepka but mm. Kepka was the biggest surprise for me like Deshambo was a surprise but you sort of went yeah actually okay I can see he suits that. it doesn't he I can, yeah I can see why he's done it Cam Smith wasn't a surprise because obviously what he said at the mm. open basically gave it away uh there's a clip of that in the final episode, I think, of the Netflix documentary. But Ke- yeah, Kepka was the big surprise for me. That was the one that I thought, really? Like, you're mm. one of the fiercest competitors on tour. Like, why would you want to go and basically play exhibitions with your days? Like, why would you want to go and do that? Like, winning winning a live golf event isn't going to satisfy your competitive desire. Yeah, to be honest, to be honest those, I don't think... In terms of profile, Thomas Peters is is way off those players, but I think he, he's got, he's a, got a fiery personality. He's no stranger to sort of having a tantrum, snapping clubs and things like that. So so, so that might be another feature of why um, he's he's been recruited because he can he's capable of, of viral moments uh, as well as being really really a really impressive golfer, obviously. Um, a seven-time winner on the DP World Tour, um, he is capable of sort of viral, angry moments, and perhaps, perhaps his personality was another sort of selling point where Live Golf might have thought we can. We, we it's another, it's another in my eyes, it's another recruit um, that's maybe been recruited for his personality and potential sort of divisiveness over over his quality. That's an interesting take. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, a bit like that's a, well, that's a bit like reading that they've they've not just taken they have taken some recognisable names, but they've taken the villains from the PJ Tour. I'm not saying Thomas Peters yeah. is a villain in any way, but some of his behaviour on the on the on on on, on um some of the behaviour on the on the golf course is quite rebellious, isn't it? And Liv has got a bit of a rebellious nature. 
for me, if Brooks Kepka is having doubts and regretting signing for Liv and is wanting to come back, that's going to be the next biggest thing is who's going to be the first player to go, do you know what? I don't like this. I'm moving back to the PGA Tour. Mm. And I I think actually, if, if I'd asked you that question probably, or this time six months ago, I think we would have said Brooks Kepka. But that's going to be the net. I mean, that's going to be the biggest blow to live, isn't it? The player that decides they don't like it and wants to come back. And if it is someone like Brooks Kepka, then that's going to really hurt. I mean, especially someone with mm. like Greg Norman and his ego. Well, I can't see a world in that in which that doesn't happen. Based on our, our discussion of live earlier, I sort of think because Greg Norman tried to start like a world league in the nineties, didn't he? Yeah. So I just sort of. The more I think about Liv sometimes, I just sort of see it as as an individual dream that Greg Norman has now made into reality. And he's just used moving parts to make it a reality. Like he's got all these players on board. Um, he's got the name of the, of the of the league. He's got backers. He's got events. He's got he, he's got all the moving parts that have sort of made his dream into a reality. But but that that, that is almost all I see Liv, Liv as. And it's so hard for them to rival the PGA Tour with something that has so much history and so much sort of heritage. That you could argue that any startup, it would be hard to to rival um, the PGA Tour. But it's almost like just like a dream has become reality for Greg Norman. These players want money in in quick time, like quick quick fire money. In ten years. Surely players like Dustin Johnson, who want more money for less time, in 10 years' time, it, surely he's going to be finished. DJ's the one player that I just think he just doesn't care. Yeah. He, he's just like... I almost respect you know that, what? though, in a way. And, and there, there was actually, there was a moment in the Netflix documentary where his wife, Paulina Gretzky, says her dad, he's the greatest ice hockey player of all time mm. and Apparently, missed yeah. so many birthdays and other celebrations because of who he was mm. and his uh, playing schedule she said for Dustin it's the same thing like he missed so many of our son's birthdays and other things and whatever school plays or you know yeah, sports yeah, games or whatever that. because he was away with the tour I'm just looking at it thinking well hang on a second you're going to play the four majors you're going to play mm. 14 events on lift that's 18 and then you're going to play probably because you're <laughs> you basically have to go now go and play a couple of Asian tour events that all adds up to basically what you were playing on the PGA tour anyway. So you're not really playing well, any less than you were before. I've I've always thought that. And also, so say if they play 14 and then they've got majors and, and they say they want less time on the golf course, they, why would they want to play on the PGA tour and the DP world yeah. tour? Because surely if you want to play less on the live golf and earn more money, Surely when they got suspended, they all went, fine, all right. I don't want yeah. I don't I want to play less yeah. golf. I don't Brilliant. want thank you for suspending me. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing. So And also the live yeah. the live the fourteen just to add to the point that I just made about uh DJ, etc. play spending, you know, birth like this. I don't know when DJ's kids' birthdays are, but if their birthday <laughs> falls on a live golf weekend they can't get out of it. They've got to go and play that weekend. Yeah. If it falls on a PGA Tour weekend, they can go, all right, well, I won't play this weekend because mm. it's my son's birthday and I want to spend the weekend with him. Mm. The whole thing is that, like, they're just, I mean, you said earlier that 
they spit this line about not being politicians, but the amount of spin that they have on yeah, all this stuff, true, like they are, they true. would be very good politicians. If yeah, yeah. The, the the family stuff I do struggle with. I know, I know. No matter how much money you've got, you obviously want to spend time with your family, but they sort of go on about it, and then they're sitting in their big mansions, and you think, well, you have spent time away from your children. I might be speaking from a, a point of view of someone who hasn't got children, but if you haven't, if if your profession is earning millions and millions and millions and you, and they're saying they, they struggled spending time away from their families and they want more time. They do plenty of traveling on live golf anyway, and they want to play in the majors. So they're going to be spending enough time away from their families regardless. Yeah. It's as someone who has children, <laughs> I won't be missing any children's birthdays for any reason. That's speaking as, Oh God, I'm going to go cuts in the cradle here. That's speaking as someone who is a child, a child mm. of divorce uh, and <laughs> having a dad who did miss a lot of birthdays and things. But I mean, I think I probably got a violin down there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. I think I would have forgiven him if he was away working and earning millions and millions, which I would later inherit. <laughs> um, but that's just not the case. So the thing that gets me that's that's really irritating me is the likes of Westwood and Poulter and Graham McDowell coming out and going, oh, we're not going to be able to play in the Ryder Cup. I love the Ryder Cup so much. And now they've banned mm. it. I wanted to be the captain. Like you knew the ramifications of going to live golf. You knew but, what would yeah. happen. Like you can't then come out and moan about it. the Ryder Cup Europe isn't going to go. Oh, do you know what? Graham McDowell has, has made a really passionate plea to be the captain for Adair Manor. We perhaps we should just give it to him because, you know, he is a good bloke. To, to be fair, they they have a few of them have said that, that, that the money is the main issue, that the main issue, the main the main reason. Um, but they don't say it directly enough for me to to, to then go fine. They, they, they go. It's a business decision. Yeah. Golf's a business. And with the Ryder Cup, they can't they obviously can't love it that much, obviously. You know, if 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 you really want if you really wanted it's like saying it's like saying for me, for example, um I'd love to play for Arsenal, for example. But if someone came along and give me a million a week to play somewhere else, that's when you get tested and that's how much you want to you want to play for Arsenal or go some do something else. And that's like live golf. The the, the you, you could play on live golf, but you can't play in the Ryder Cup. So, so what's the choice? Is it money or is it something you 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 reckon you love? And it's and they've chosen and they've chosen the money. And it's such a shame. It is it is there is a there is a hint of sadness about it because there is no coming back for them, is there? There isn't. No, I think yeah, I think it's it's a shame for the fans as well because I think like okay, Westwood and McDowell, they sort that I feel like with Westwood and McDowell there was a, an air of arrogance in terms of, oh, they're not going to ban us from the Ryder Cup. We'll do this little lawsuit. Mm. They won't ban us. It'll be fine. They obviously aren't going to get picked as captain. Henrik Stenson has been... I mean, the, the Henrik Stenson situation has set a precedent. Like, these yeah. guys are not going to be... If they're if they're signed, contracted to live golf, they are not going to be able to be Ryder Cup captain. It's as simple as that. Now, playing is a completely different thing because they could still... If they win their lawsuit and they play on the DP World Tour and they qualify, there's probably not anything that can stop Ryder Cup Europe from allowing them to play yeah, but that, being, that, being that, a captain yeah. which is picked by a board uh, a European tour board is a completely different situation now I think for the fans it's hugely regretful because Ian Porter as captain at Bethpage in 25 mm. was something we were all looking forward to as golf fans and you do see you do see Porter in particularly in that 
Netflix documentary, you do see him wrestling with that decision because he is a player whose career has been defined by the Ryder Cup. Yeah. And you see him, uh, you sort of start feeling sorry for him and you sort of start do thinking, oh God, just maybe we should just let him be the Euro. I mean, I don't have any say in the matter, but maybe we should just let him be the captain they? because he would be a brilliant captain. This, you know, he has given a lot to Ryder, Ryder Cup Team Europe. And then he pulls that bloody smirk. Yeah. Everyone is, if you, even if you haven't seen the documentary, you have seen the screen grab of that smirk. And then you just go, ah, no. Yeah. Not but interested. I, Give I it found, to Robert Carlson. I, I found that, to be honest, I found that, again, not to give much away for people who haven't seen it, but I found that as one of the excruciating points of, of Ian Poulter's episode. <laughs> but yeah, it's just things like that that you just sort of think, well, there's no sympathy element here for you, especially with the money you already earn. You've, it, it's, you, you've basically given up earning millions and being eligible for the Ryder Cup for just earning a few more million and now not being eligible for the Ryder Cup yeah. for less effort because they wouldn't even have to practice to play on live golf events. Whereas with PJ Tour events, you can have your sort of your pants pulled down if you don't play well. But there's none of that in live golf. And that's where the, the sympathy element with people like Poulter and McDowell and Westwood sort of goes out the window, I think. Um, not that They might not want sympathy, but I feel like they want some sort of element of forgiveness. But it's hard because they knew the ramifications. And yeah, I think there was that air of arrogance that you mentioned earlier probably involved as well. First of all, how much money do you need? And second of mm-hmm. all... <laughs> When you look back on your career, when you're on your deathbed, do you want to be thinking, oh, I earned 90 million instead of 50 million? 50 million is still a lot of money. Mm. You can still do a lot with that. You can still set up generations of your family for life. Or do you want to be on your deathbed having been remembered for your legacy? And I, I just think for me, OK, I'm not an athlete. Yeah, I think yeah. And I'm not a sports star, but I like to think that I would go the Rory McIlroy route of wanting to be remembered for my legacy and, and what I did and, and, and what I did for and in the, the game that I was in. A lot of people's reputations have been absolutely destroyed by one decision and it's all to do with money. And the stupid thing is, is that well, so much more money on the PGA Tour, as we spoke about John Rahm at the top of the podcast, they would be making, like Cam Smith, for example, probably wouldn't be making isn't making that much more by being on live golf well exactly i think just i thought if you're about to move to it then but it is easy what probably frustrates the golf is that it is easy for us to sit and say what we would do and what we wouldn't do it's easy for us to take the moral high ground when we're not in the situation of being offered millions but it is it is easy i suppose for people who claim they love things so much and to throw them away so that's where so that's where we can sort of judge them, I think. Right. Let's move on from Liv because we have talked about it far mm. too long. Just give me your you've watched the whole documentary. Just give me your I, again. I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't had a chance to see it yet because it's only been out a few days. I've written about it on the website and you can, mm-hmm. you can go and read that on nationalcupgolfer.com. But what were your overriding thoughts of the documentary as a whole? As obviously a hardcore golf fan, I, 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 I did really enjoy watching it. I think we are the ones that are able to critique it the most because we know all the storylines that go on at each event. I, I, I really enjoyed, I, I really enjoyed watching it. I thought it was, I thought particularly the episodes with Joel Damon and Tony Finau were brilliant. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the insight into Fitzpatrick was really good. 
Um, I like the range of players that are involved, from the most recognisable ones to players like Sahih Figala and uh, Mito Pereira, who aren't that recognisable to non-goal fans. Um, so I thought it covered a good range in that sense. Um, uh, there were a couple of pointers which I sort of thought I didn't like. It's it's not in chronological order, which I didn't oh, really, which, which I found I found difficult to be honest. Yeah, because it jumps around too much. It. Well, especially as large parts of different episodes were literally all about the PGA Championship. Well, yeah. It was Justin Thomas at the PGA Championship. Well, I mean, just, to, just, to, just to touch on what you were saying there, you had, a, you had an episode which uh, the first episode featured Justin Thomas, who won the PGA Championship. That's not a spoiler. And he beat out Mito Pereira. And then... Like six episodes later, you've got an episode focusing on Mito Pereira and his family, and then it's just re-stomping that old ground from episode one. And you're thinking, mm. well, hang on, I've already seen this. Why are we still on the PJ Championship? First of all, why did we start on the PJ Championship? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Second of all, why am I six episodes in and I'm revisiting it? Like, what yeah. is happening? I I thought I, I honestly did enjoy it. I don't I don't want to criticise it. I did enjoy it. Um, I thought it was sometimes though caught between appealing to us. And appealing to people who don't know about golf. Yeah. Um, for for example, like there was a comparison made. There's a comparison or like a parallel with Colin Morikawa and Tiger Woods. I don't yeah. think anyone's compared Morikawa to Tiger Woods. Maybe because he won two majors so early, that was a potential comparison. But that misleads non-golf fans who watch it, in my opinion. And yeah. the and the dynamic between Matt Fitzpatrick and Dustin Johnson was like set up as like a as like a rivalry that for that yeah. tournament. I used to work with two F1 writers at ESPN mm. who I asked for their opinion about this and and their thoughts about Drive to Survive, which is made by the same company. Mm. And I said, how has Drive to Survive been received by hardcore F1 fans? And and both of them said to me that exactly what you've just said there, like they created drama where there didn't need to be drama or their or just or rivalries that basically didn't exist. Mm. That seems to sort of be their MO really. And that's sort of, that's fine. Like if you're a non-golf fan and you're watching it, does it really matter if a non-golf fan goes away from it thinking that Dustin Johnson and Matt Fitzpatrick are well, rivals? That's true. It probably doesn't. Like we might look at it and go, that's absolute nonsense. Like that just didn't happen. But mm. it's not for us, I, is it, that series? I I think there is just about enough especially Rory McIlroy's hilarious quip in the final episode, which I won't yeah. say because I don't want to spoil it, and it's a swear word. But I think there is just about enough in the documentary. I think I, I would say out of the 48 minutes of each episode, there's probably 15 to 20 minutes, which just about make it enough for it to be watchable for us as hardcore golf fans. Mm. I think the stuff around it, I don't need to see... Justin Thomas and Will Zalatoris going toe to toe down at the end of the PGA Championship because mm. I watched that tournament. But the the bits around that, I love the little comments that the, the the cameras catch and the little quips between yeah, the players I like, and, I, I enjoy and the little behind the scenes stuff. And I really like that. And I loved Matt Fitzpatrick sitting there with all nerding out on all his data and <laughs> explaining all that stuff. And I I did really like all that stuff. Same as you could like. Just make it linear next time. I did not like the way that it mm. jumped around. It it made it too confusing. As someone who follows golf, it made it too confusing. But again, like I said, it it's not for us. It's for it's really for sports fans in general. And do they really care that the PGA Championship is the second major of the season? They probably don't. So no, exactly. Yeah, I think it was. I I 
100% whether you're a golf fan or a casual fan or just a sports fan, 100% go and watch it because it is fantastic. Right, I think we've we've probably been talking long enough. So I hope your first slam experience was good. Before we go, I do just want to pay respects to John Paramore, the former European Tour chief referee who sadly passed away last week. From a personal perspective, I had the opportunity to work alongside John for just a single day of filming. It was John and uh, Steve Carroll and myself. We did a day of filming some rules of golf videos at Sunningdale Heath. And not only was John an incredibly generous and funny and kind hearted man, he was incredibly hardworking and he just wouldn't let us leave until it all got done. Um, he was he was an absolute diamond to work with. And I really enjoyed that day. And it was one of my if I was to take single days out of my career, it was up there as one of my favourites and a, a very sad news. And if you head over to nationalclubgolfer.com, Steve has paid his respects in his own way, which is a really nice read. So I think that's how we'll finish the Slam podcast. And I hope you enjoyed your first dive into it and should we I come did. back next week i did should we come back do it again yeah if we find some time yeah sure yeah